0: That piece of music you have just heard was written by Paul and Linda McCartney. It's called Band on the Run. But here, we pause for a spoiler alert. What you have just heard was performed by Stroll Down Penny Lane. And that is just what you are in for. A stroll down Penny Lane. And this is Joe Anastasi, your narrator for our exploration back through time In fact, covering some 65 years of music, where we celebrate the life and music of Paul McCartney. Okay, let's dig in. Let's investigate this song of Paul's, Band on the Run. The first thread in our narrative addresses the inspiration underlying the first two sections of this song. The second thread in our narrative addresses the unusual recording experience that Paul and Linda had in the recording of this song. And in the third thread in our narrative, we reveal the song that served as Paul's inspiration for the writing of the third section in this song, Band on the Run. So let's start at the very beginning. In order to witness the origin of this song, we'll need the services of our little time machine. To go back in time, we just press this button, and off we go. We have landed in London, England. The year is 1969. We find ourselves just inside the newly renovated headquarters for Apple Corps Limited, the Beatles Multimedia Corporation, which is not to be confused with Apple, the multinational technology company with its iPhones and App Store, which of course did not yet exist. But nonetheless, you would know this building. Why? Because this is the building where the Beatles' rooftop performance took place on January 30th, 1969. That is, up until the point in time that the London Constables stopped it. But today, with the assistance of our little time machine, we find ourselves observing a sort of business meeting that is being held in a tiny conference room in this building. We can see the four Beatles. They're sitting at a conference room table. It turns out that we've arrived at the very moment that John Lennon is announcing to everyone in the room that the Beatles were broke. They were out of money. And with that, the sound of a chair squeaking from weight on it, of someone sitting forward in his wooden chair, draws our eyes across this room to the other end of the conference room table where we can see this new, looming presence in the room. He is a large man. As he leans forward, he begins to take charge of this business meeting. John and George, as well as Ringo, are listening attentively to this heavyset man. This fellow is now dominating the conversation, and despite the fact that he is wearing a brown three-piece business suit, he is disheveled and rumpled appearing. Paul McCartney, though, is not looking at the man who is speaking, for Paul has an understanding of all that he needs to know about this man. The name of the individual the others are intently focused on is Alan Klein. He is promising the Beatles fabulous wealth, and with this, John George and Ringo proceed to vote to have this Alan Klein character installed to head up the management of the band's company, Apple. But Paul loathes this man, and Paul has refused to sign the management agreement with Alan Klein. The problem, though, is this. Paul is now stuck with a manager he despises. And that one thing Paul McCartney's loathing of this individual, Alan Klein, forms the connection to two famous songs that Paul would soon come to write: one song being "Band on the Run," which is the focus of our story today, and which we will turn to again in a moment. But interestingly enough, Paul's loathing of this man, Alan Klein, served as the creative motivation for another song that Paul also wrote. In this year, 1969. This last song of Paul's is directly coupled to his later song, Band on the Run. For this reason, it will be worth our time to take a moment to go back to explore this other song of Paul's, You Never Give Me Your Money, which kicks off the famous medley found on the second side of the Beatles' Abbey Road album. For in this earlier song, You Never Give Me Your Money, Paul establishes right from the outset A mournful narrative storyline. This downbeat, minor tonality, is important to our story. For a little later in this song, Paul exploits this feeling of melancholy. But how, you might ask, does he manage to exploit a feeling of melancholy?
1: Yeah! Uh,
0: yeah! Talk back, Mike. Paul does this by having a later section of the song emerge out of the gloom. Something like... The first glimpse of sunlight just at daybreak. And Paul accomplishes this by transitioning the song to a major sunny key center for this later section of the song. Let's put a pin in that thought. Okay, we have put a pin in that thought, I suppose, but here is the recipe start a song in a minor key, like Paul does with the song You'd Never Give Me Your Money, and after having established this, that is, after having the song start off sounding kind of mournful, all you need to do is then, later in the song, figure out a way to change to a major key center. And with this, voilà. the song will rise up, kind of like a celebration of something sunny. Why put a pin in that thought? Talk back, Mike. Your notion of putting a pin in something seems a bit excessive.
1: Just follow directions, Joe.
0: Got it. Though, TBM, I wouldn't want to experience how you might baste a turkey. I'm thinking of a fire hose. Did somebody say fire hose?
1: Did somebody call the fire department? No?
0: All right, continuing now, the answer to this question is that approximately four years later, Paul will do exactly this and big time in his later song, Band on the Run. In fact, this song, Band on the Run, is also a medley comprising three different segments. And by the time we get to the second section of the song, Paul has skillfully directed us into a minor key center, where he expresses the feeling of a mournful dirge, a lament of being locked up. And with Paul having successfully rooted this melancholy feeling in our brains, It will then later come as a surprise to our brains when in the third section of the song, Paul fundamentally changes the feeling of this song. Paul pulls off this surprise by employing a key change that is changing the key of the song to a major key center. And this key change in this song occurs just at the jailbreak, at the very moment when the band breaks out of the prison. And to our brains, it feels like the song is exploding into the sunshine. Here I have a little confession to make. My confession is this, I have gotten a little ahead of myself in this story. Let's turn back to my origin story with respect to Paul's song, Band on the Run, which was recorded in 1973 and in, of all places, Lagos, Nigeria, which we will also get to in a moment. We are unpacking things piece by piece. As we discover in this narrative, Paul's song, Band on the Run, had its genesis all the way back to this earlier song, You Never Give Me Your Money, found on the second side of the Beatles' Abbey Road album. The important connection that we are establishing here is that this earlier song, You Never Give Me Your Money, was a reflection of the concerns that each of the Beatles had about the business difficulties at Apple at that time. In fact, we can directly link up with something that George Harrison has said about his recollection of that earlier time with the Beatles, and we can tie George's memory of this time to an actual lyric written by Paul. George Harrison's recollection is documented in the Beatles anthology, where George sums things up pretty succinctly, quote, funny paper, that's what we get, We get bits of paper saying how much is earned and what this and that is, but we never actually get it, And now here, we get to the nub of things, because just as the Beatles were recording their very last album, we find Paul writing a lyric that expresses the sentiment that was expressed by George Harrison, and we discover it in the first two lines of this song that Paul wrote. You never give me your money. You never give me your money. You only give me your funny paper. And after the demise of the Beatles, we can find other evidence of Paul writing lyrics that were expressly based on his memories of those troubled times the Beatles had experienced earlier in 1969. He would write lyrics that express the frustration of having to sit through those interminable business meetings at Apple. We can hear exactly this sentiment in this later song of his, Band on the Run. Let's hear the lyric first. It's found in the second segment of this song, and then we can separately explore what Paul later said about the writing of this lyric.
1: In 1973,
0: Paul McCartney disclosed in an interview that this very line was inspired by something George Harrison had said back in that year, 1969. So, what was it that George had said? Well, George Harrison expressed his concerns at that time that the business problems at Apple were causing the Beatles to be, in effect, caught up as prisoners. Stated another way, George was lamenting about feeling hemmed in the business problems and the endless meetings. George used a metaphor to explain his feeling. His metaphor was that the Beatles were prisoners of their own success and of their lack of business acumen. And that metaphor, provided by George Harrison, was all that Paul needed.
1: Needed? Needed for what?
0: Talk back, Mike! For Paul to translate that expression of despair into the following verse, in this later song, recorded in 1973. It's in the second verse of Paul's song, Band on the Run. Now before we get to the prison break section of Paul's song, Band on the Run, Let's turn to the recording process for this song. This subject, the recording process, forms up the second thread in our narrative. TBM, you can turn off your sewing machine. The second thread of our narrative involves storytelling. Not using a sewing machine to sew fabric.
1: Darn that was a pun by the way
0: thank you for that tbm anyway returning to the second thread in our narrative the song ban on the run was recorded at two different times and at two different locations the first two sections of the song were taped in lagos nigeria while the third section was recorded in october 1973 at a.i.r studios in london to review what transpired though Especially with respect to the Lagos, Nigeria part of this story, we'll need the services of our little time machine one more time. We just push this button, and off we go. We have arrived in Lagos, Nigeria. And the year is 1973. Paul McCartney was of the belief that he could benefit from a fresh approach to recording some of the new songs that he had come up with. And so he thought that physically undertaking this recording session in a fresh, new, geographic location would perhaps be stimulating. We'll be right back after this short break, so stay with us. We're back now, and this is Joe Anastasi of Stroll Down Penny Lane. The year is 1973 in Lagos, Nigeria, with Paul McCartney. Paul thought that having a change of geographic location would somehow contribute to the creativity of the recording session. Having this in mind, Paul consulted a list of recording studios operated by EMI around the world. And Paul McCartney somehow decided to settle upon a recording studio that was owned and operated by EMI and which was located in Lagos, Nigeria. So far, so good, as the saying goes. Let's cover the stimulation part first. Now we are talking about the time period just after the breakup of the Beatles when Paul had successfully assembled his new band, Wings. By way of background, by 1973, Wings had been together for a couple of years. Denny Lane played rhythm guitar in Paul's new band, and by this time, Linda McCartney had learned how to play the electric piano. Both Denny Lane and Linda sang harmony vocals on the songs Paul would write. From the very outset, the drummer in Wings had been Denny Siwell. The lead guitarist, however, was new to the band in 1973. His name, was Henry McCullough. And here is where our story pivots to Paul's lead guitarist, Henry McCullough. This is the Henry McCullough who had famously improvised the guitar solo for Paul's song, My Love. In fact, this guitar solo had been improvised by Henry on the spot, and in one take, in front of Paul McCartney, and in front of a 50-person Philharmonic Orchestra. Only my love does Having introduced this subject to Paul's lead guitarist, Henry McCullough, we need to review a little of the backstory, if you will, with respect to this particular guitar solo on this particular song, My Love. When we review this bit of music history, we will uncover a bit of drama involved with the various band members in Paul's new band. And this should not surprise us too much, because any band of musicians... For example, a band like Wings includes multiple human beings who each have their individual histories and points of view and tendencies and foibles and idiosyncrasies. How's that for a six syllable word? Um, one, two. Three. That, TBM, was a rhetorical question. Continuing with our story, here's the thing. Unlike the Beatles, Wings was Paul's band, and for this particular band, Paul had a particular point of view. Let's put it this way. Let me relate a little bit about the recording session for this song of Paul's My Love, which was slated for an earlier Wings album, Red Rose Speedway. And important to our story today is the following little piece of information, which is this that it was, in fact, Paul who had devised the guitar solo that guitarist Henry McCullough was to record that day for that song, My Love. Now, again, we are talking about the time period a little bit earlier, in January 1973. So, to get our calendar straight, it is at this moment, nine months before the recording of the Band on the Run album, where we will discover a particular bone of contention for our Henry McCullough. He had his idiosyncrasies, but so did Paul, because turning to Paul now, Paul, as the songwriter and leader of the band, had always insisted that all of the Wing's guitar solos be meticulously planned in advance. The thing is though, our Henry McCullough chafed at this bit of restriction. Henry thought of himself as being a blues man, and he believed his forte was improvising. So now, once again, we use the services of our little time machine as we flash back in time approximately nine months to January of 1973 to discover how this bone of contention gets resolved or not. We are in London now in January of 1973. Paul had booked EMI's Abbey Road Recording Studio on this day for the recording session for this song, My Love. Paul. Being the creative spirit he was, had had a brainchild for this recording session.
1: I have got a grammar lesson for you. Have had, has had, had had, confusing tenses. I know that a lot of my students struggle with these. Different forms of the same verb. There's a lot to cover in this lesson. Have had, has had,
0: had. TBM, forget the grammar lesson. Let me rephrase the sentence. Paul McCartney came up with the notion of recording the basic tracks for this song, My Love live. That is, live with a full orchestra. Stated another way, the members of Paul's band would record their parts for the backing track for this song, live, with the full orchestra seated there, all 50 of them.
1: If I may, professor, what I believe... Our esteemed show host intends to convey is that the drums, the bass, the electric piano, the electric guitar, and the orchestra were to be recorded to tape at the same time, together, simultaneously, as a single ensemble performance capturing all those instruments for the basic track. This was a rare and expensive approach at the time and since. Sources state that Paul played electric piano and Denny Lane played bass. Around 20 takes of the song were recorded to get the final basic track. Curious to know if Paul's final lead vocals and or the harmony vocals by Linda McCartney and Denny Lane were also recorded at that same time. Records from EMI Studios indicate that overdubs were recorded a day or two later. Oh my God, who cares? Contact us if you have the answer. But there is yet a twist to this recording session. Professor?
0: The twist to all of this was exactly this. Paul's guitar player, Henry McCullough, was to be set up right there with his guitar plugged into an amp, and he was to play his solo, the guitar solo devised by Paul McCartney, in order for the recording engineers to capture what Paul hoped would be, quote, a certain feeling, unquote. And so, as Paul stood there on the podium in front of the 50-person Philharmonic Orchestra and with the orchestra conductor, Richard Hewson, standing there adjacent to Paul, looking on, Paul's guitarist, Henry McCullough, approached Paul as he stood there on the podium and said to Paul quietly, hey, would it be all right if I tried something else on the guitar? Oh 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 my God. Oh my God. And Paul McCartney looked at Henry McCullough for a moment quizzically, and then acquiesced. And so the recording session began, and at the moment of the instrumental break, Henry began his guitar solo, which he devised on the spot while the tape rolled with the 50 orchestral musicians playing live. Now, to be sure, Henry McCullough's guitar solo was nothing short of brilliant. And as Henry recounted this moment later in his life, he explained that he drew his inspiration from, quote, the power of the orchestra and the guitar he had slung around his neck, unquote. Now, all of this occurred in January of 1973. The problem, however, was, well... We will see the problem as our story unfolds. Nine months later, as Henry McCullough and the rest of Paul's band Wings began rehearsals for the next Wings album, the album that would turn out to be the Band on the Run album, our Henry McCullough thought to continue with his haphazard approach of creating his guitar parts.
1: Haphazard? Well, that sounds a little judgmental.
0: TBM, fair enough. Let's put it this way then. Paul's lead guitarist, Henry McCullough, had chafed a little with the careful planning and organizational approach that Paul had always used in crafting his songs. Or we can look at it from this other point of view. Henry McCullough, having successfully improvised the lead guitar solo on the massive hit, My Love, wanted to continue with his ongoing philosophy, which was to continue to improvise on the spot. Now, the difficulty with this was that there existed another point of view on this subject. Everything about Paul McCartney was diametrically the converse of this. With his music, Paul McCartney was meticulous. By this I mean every part was to be thought out meticulously in advance and so we return now to the story of the unfolding plans for the upcoming recording sessions for the band on the run album as we return to our recounting events that were transpiring nine months later two weeks before the band was to get on a plane to depart for lagos nigeria Our lead guitarist in Paul's band Wings, Henry McCullough, up and quit Paul's band.
2: Did you hear me? I said I quit!
0: (gasps) The fact that guitarist Henry McCullough had up and quit added to the frustration that had been growing in the band's drummer, Denny Sywell. And so, as this information began to settle in for him, we moved to the next event, which occurred the evening before the rest of the band was to depart for Lagos. And that new event was that Paul's drummer, Denny Sywell, phoned Paul and told Paul over the phone that he was quitting as well. I just
1: wanted to tell you I quit too. I got a bad feeling about this.
0: Now one would think that having two-fifths of your band up and quit the evening before you were to fly 3,110 miles as the crow flies to Lagos, Nigeria, that you might reconsider the scheduling of your recording session on another continent. That's a reasonable assumption, but that would be you, not Paul McCartney. For Paul McCartney, it was off to Lagos. He would make an album that his departed bandmates would wish they had been on. And as it turns out, this part is true. Now, it also turns out that what Paul McCartney and the others found upon landing in Lagos, Nigeria, was not what Paul had expected. He somehow visualized Lagos as a riot of sound and color, ingredients that he hoped would influence the sound of his new album. What Paul experienced, though, was decidedly different. One wake-up call for Paul and the others came when Paul and Jeff Emmerich, the Abbey Road sound engineer who had accompanied Paul to Lagos, experienced the cultural shock of visiting the recording studio. It turns out that the EMI Recording Studio was located on Wharf Road in the Port area of Lagos. Jeff Emmerich was astonished to observe that there existed no soundproof drum booth in the studio. In fact, he discovered there were no acoustic screens located anywhere in the recording studio and that the taping and mixing equipment were rudimentary. And when Jeff Emmerich peered out the back door of the recording studio, he realized that the record-pressing plant was actually located in an adjacent lean-to which had a corrugated tin roof. And when he examined this structure a little more closely, the recording engineer could see the overhead sun peeking through the tin roof. Let's put a pin in that thought. Later that same day, during a break in the recording session, our recording engineer, Jeff Emmerich, was dumbfounded when he poked his head out the back door of the studio to observe how the afternoon rainstorms caused the record pressing operators to work in ankle deep rainwater. Now, our Paul, the optimist that he was, charmed the manager of the recording studio into hiring some carpenters to build the needed soundproofing screens. And when the carpentry efforts lagged, Paul picked up a hammer and a saw. And joined in the endeavor. Meanwhile, Jeff Emmerich went ahead to make the adjustments needed in order to make the control desk suitable to record the band. The next part of this story is remarkable for what happened and for what did not happen. But here we will break from this story. We will resume the telling of this tale in our next Stroll Down Penny Lane episode. So go get a snack, freshen up a bit, and then rejoin us in the telling of this story in Episode 8, Band on the Run, The Origin of a Hit Song, Part (laughs) 2. you enjoyed this podcast of Stroll Down Penny Lane, please join us again next time as we explore further the life and music of Paul McCartney and come see us at one of our shows if you are in the neighborhood. You'll find us at slash podcast or with your favorite podcast app. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hey.